Amen, amen. All right, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Tonight we are actually going to finish this chapter finally. Uh, yay, everyone's saying. And then we have one more chapter after that. But as I mentioned, if you remember, uh, in our journey through our study through the book of Luke, uh, Luke has a lot of verses in each chapter, so he packs a lot in to this book. But also we've been taking our time and going more in-depth in our study here in the Word of God, and I hope you enjoy that. I, I so much uh, enjoy studying the Word of God, and I think, you know, as Christians, it's so important that we do that. Uh, one announcement, just a reminder uh, that, well, actually two, uh, women, there's a women's fellowship this Saturday at 10 a.m. over in the Keiki Church side, and it will be also on Zoom, so if you want to hook up that way, you can. But we invite you, I know it's been really good discussion uh, going through Philippians and um, going through this subject about get, get, get out of your mind, no, get yeah, taking your thought, thoughts captive and all. So anyway, uh, Kristen just reminded me, so it went out of my mind. No, Anyway, um, yeah, I invite you for that. And then at 4 o'clock on Saturday, we've been having prayer meetings, so I invite you to come and uh, join us in that too. So, all right, Luke chapter 23. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I ask that you would bless your word, anoint it with your spirit. God, speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would give us a word, each one of us, Lord, and you have a message, Lord, for us tonight. And so we are attentive to that, and as you already are working in our hearts through the worship, we feel your presence, God, and now we ask your presence to be felt in your word, and that we would hear your voice. Uh, touch this time anoint and anoint it, in Jesus' name, amen. A next time, someone greets you with, hey, what's up? Try answer with one of these funny replies. If someone says, what's up? Say, my blood pressure. Another one is, my cholesterol levels. If someone says, what's up? If you're not very happy, you can say, well, not my mood, that's for sure. <laughs> Another thing, if someone says, what's up to you? You could say, not my paycheck, I'm pretty broke. <laughs> what's up? Oh, the price of gas. Uh, what's up? The price of milk. And I like this one. If someone says, what's up to you? Just point to the sky and say, up is that way. <laughs> well, if you like these responses, it shows like how lighthearted you are. If you don't, well, maybe you need to take one of those chill pills. <laughs> but you understand your response really say a lot about where you're at. And that's sort of the idea I want to put you into your heads because today we come back to our study in the book of Luke and we find four responses now to Jesus's death and that's the title of our message four responses to Jesus's death we're going to be studying Luke chapter 23 now from verse 47 through 46 56 excuse me 47 to 56. Wouldn't that be funny if we went from 47 to 46? That'd be kind of backwards, huh? But anyway, 
Uh, we're going to finish this chapter starting with verse 47. Now, the four responses, and this is what we're going to see. This is our outline and basically our points. And number one, the first response is the centurion is convinced. Number two, the people are convicted. Number three, the followers are confused. And number four, the Jewish elder is committed. So those are the four responses. We're going to see some are convinced, some are convicted, some are confused, and one is committed, committed to Jesus. All right, let's begin with number one here in our outline. The centurion is convinced. The centurion is convinced. Now, here we're going to just cover verse 47, and this is talking about the response of the centurion. So take a look with me here in Luke chapter 23, verse 47. It says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. So we stop there. Now we begin with Luke here writing, and he continues on really with this passage about Jesus dying on the cross. He says here in verse 47, Now, and you could maybe add now at the time of Jesus' death. So Jesus had just died, gave up his breath on the cross. And at that moment, as we come into this passage in verse 47, the centurion, which is the Roman commander, officer, he's over a hundred or more, a couple hundred men. He's, a, he's the head guy. He's the lieutenant colonel or however the ranking is. But he's the commander over this hundred Roman soldiers. And he's the one who's assigned to oversee the crucifixion. Now, here's the here's centurion when he saw what had taken place. In other words, the centurion had like front row seats here. He, he was right there. He saw everything that happened on the cross. And in particular, what we're finding out is he saw how Jesus handled things as he was dying on the cross, hanging there. Now think about this. We had been going over this, haven't we, in the last like three times when we studied the book of Luke. We went over the seven last words of Christ, the seven last statements or sayings of Christ. And so imagine what they were hearing, what they were receiving, the soldiers who were right there. And I think the first words that Jesus said on the cross would have probably impacted them the most. When you remember the the after they had pounded the nails into his wrists and his feet, his first words were, was what? Father, forgive them, right? For they know not what they do. And here's the Roman soldiers like, whoa, take him back. You know, probably most criminals were, were bitter, were angry. But here's Jesus hanging on the cross now, asking the Father to forgive those who had put them on the cross and especially those soldiers that were there. Could you imagine, remember there was darkness that came upon the scene here from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. And that darkness covered the land. And, and I'm sure the soldiers were like, whoa, what's going on? Remember, I, I kind of tried to describe to you, it was, it was, it was a sort of a, a darkness that you can feel because this was the judgment of God being poured down upon Jesus as he took upon all our sins. So imagine how the centurion felt when this darkness came over the land for those three hours. Or, I wonder what he felt. Maybe he got chicken skin when Jesus 
loudly cried, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus died right there. He probably never saw anybody die in that way. I mean, and then right after that, there was this earthquake. Matthew 27 tells us right when Jesus died. So you can imagine all that the centurion was seeing and wondering, whoa, what's going on? How many crucifixions did this centurion oversee? But there was none like how Jesus died this time. I was reading most of the people hanging on the cross when they were crucified. They suffered from oxygen deprivation. Remember how you hung on the cross, you couldn't breathe, you had to pull up just to take a breath. And so most of the people who hung on the cross were, were, were like incoherent. They, they were barely thinking because of the lack of oxygen. They, if they spoke, it was, it was barely a whisper because of they couldn't breathe. But here, Jesus shouted, matter of fact, twice, right? It is finished, yeah? And he shouted um, what I just said, uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so, imagine now the centurion, when Jesus gave his last breath, after seeing all of this in verse 47, it says that he praised God. He gave God glory here. And then he said this. Why did he praise God? Because he, he said that certainly this man was innocent. In other words, this man was a righteous man. This, this man was certainly what Pilate said. I find nothing wrong with this man. But I believe it was even more than that, that he was innocent. It was more than, well, he's righteous. It was like the centurion saying, this was a holy man. And the reason I say that, because in Mark 15, verse 39, Mark records the centurion saying this, Truly, this was the Son of God. Matter of fact, Matthew records that. And he also adds that not only the centurion, but the, but the other soldiers that were with him, uh, administering and the centurion overseeing the crucifixion. It says in Matthew 27 that they were filled with all. So they were taken back. Jesus' death made an incredible impact on the centurion, his soldiers right there at the cross. So the first point is this. Seeing the way he died, the centurion is convinced now that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? The way Jesus died on the cross, the way he handled all the suffering, though the things he spoke on the seven saints, it was unlike any other uh, person that ever hung on the cross ever and probably ever after that. And so these, this centurion was taken back by what he saw and what Jesus said when he hung on the cross. So seeing the way he died, the centurion is convinced this is this. Uh, convinced that Jesus is truly the Son of God. He saw something way different, and he saw someone holy. And I believe he saw Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, I was thinking about how one of my pastor's pastor friends, he, he's whenever I think about him and, and I need inspiration, he inspires me because uh, he's been through so much as long as I've known him. I saw him... Uh, when he first 
uh, started his church being accused of things uh, from the church he came from. And, and, but he just kept going. He suffered, you know, things with that. I saw his two children, when they became adults, break off the relationship and rebel against God. I saw him lose his wife to cancer. I saw uh, many, even in the recent years, many listened to this disgruntled missionary and half the church basically left. His staff left. But by the way, he carried on. Even through these hard times of suffering and pain, the way he carried on is inspiration to me because you see his connection to God. And I would say I'm totally convinced that, you know, God is with him. Yeah, God is in him. And so that's like the centurion. The way Jesus died was totally different from what he saw. And he's like, this guy is the son of God. And who knows, perhaps, maybe that centurion and maybe the soldiers there came of faith that day. It could be if they're recognizing him as the son of God of God. Now, this really speaks to me. I don't know about you, but I think about is the way I handle my suffering show Jesus is in me, that God is in me, or am I just like everyone else in the world? Or is God really there helping me? Yeah. Am I really allowing God to help me? Am I relying upon God to help me? You know, this also made me think how the centurion is convinced this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. Just the way Jesus suffered and died there on the cross. It made me think, am I convinced that Jesus is the Lord God? Am I convinced to the point where, Lord, you are my sovereign God. You're the one I gave my life to. So am I willing... Am I convinced so much that I'm willing to surrender all to him and trust him in his sovereignty and work in my life? That I'm willing to surrender my whole life, everything, and whatever he wants to do, God, do your will. Am I convinced in that way that Jesus is truly the Son of God? This was challenging me as a centurion saw this, and I think about Jesus, how he died on the cross. How he did that for me. God, I can trust you then with my life. All right, so we see the centurion is convinced. Now in the next verse, we come to number two in our outline. The people are convicted. The people are convicted. Now this is just verse 48. Take a look here. Luke 23, verse 48 says, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. All right, now we see the response of the crowd. These are the, the Jewish people, the people who are there in Jerusalem for the Passover, who came to see Jesus being crucified on the cross. They watched Jesus die. So this crowd that was around the cross at that time, they assembled, it says here, they gathered together. Notice what Luke writes here, for this spectacle. That word in the Greek means like for, uh, for the sight to see. In other words, they came all oh, to be entertained almost. They came to see this guy, right, get what he deserves. They want to see this happen, right? And and it was more like a show for them. 
Remember, this is the same crowd that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord at the triumphal entry, just that, the Sunday before. But after being poisoned and influenced by the religious leaders on that Friday morning, they cried out to Pilate and said, crucify him, crucify him. So in their animosity and their anger, oh, maybe the, the Pharisees are saying, this guy's false, he's not real, you know, we don't want him. He he's blasphemes God and oh yeah yeah crucify and get him so they all come out to see Jesus crucified so it was like a show for them it was like yeah yeah let's let's see this guy get it but verse forty seven says that when they saw what had taken place what is that how Jesus died. They saw how Jesus died. What happened? It affected them. It says here that they returned home. They returned back home now, beating their breasts. That's a term of of being filled with grief and guilt. They were convicted. They were convicted by just seeing how Jesus died. I mean, they saw everything that I mentioned the soldiers saw, right? They saw all the sayings of the cross we studied, right, in the past weeks. Uh, perhaps, who knows, maybe I was speculating, perhaps they saw Jesus' compassion, yeah? This real love in that third saying when, when uh, he told Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, uh, or he told John to take care, care of his, his mother, Mary, right? Um, since Jesus is dying, the elder is supposed to take care of your parents. He said, John, here. He saw that compassion. Maybe he's, they saw when Jesus turned to that one thief on the cross, you shall be with me in paradise. And the darkness, and, and Jesus saying, it is finished. Perhaps all of that, they realized, whoa, who is this? This is a, a holy man. This is, perhaps like the centurion said, they were thinking, This is the Son of God. All that only shine the light on their own sin. So here's the point. Seeing the way he died, the people are convicted, and I believe this, being deeply aware of their part in the execution. Right there, they're like, yeah, crucify him. They're like, yeah, yeah, if you're really the son of God, you know, come down off the cross. They're mocking him with the Jews. Yeah, They're laughing with the other religious leaders. And now they're convicted in seeing how Jesus died, deeply aware of their part in the execution. I read an article about a Florida businessman, Robert Palmer, who had cheered on the violence at the at the uh, capital attack, you know, the January 6th attack. Uh, while screaming obscenities, he threw a wooden plank and, and a fire extinguisher actually at police officers. Today, Palmer actually fights back tears as he is sentenced to five years in prison for what he did. And you know what he says? I'm just so ashamed that I was part of that so I can imagine the people here to me this this is this mob mentality 
Yeah. You, 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 you get all worked up. You join the crowd. You, 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 you get all caught up in the anger and the emotion and the hate. And, and, and you do crazy things. You say crazy things. But when it all calms down, when it all stops, and then you see that self-righteous attitude, you, you, you see the, those things inside you, that the fleshly sinful things, you get convicted, and I think even more so to see Jesus die and die in the way he died on the cross. I think about that myself. I think about, wow, look how Jesus died, and I think about how he, he died for my sin. Those times that I go crazy in my emotions, in my, my sinful flesh, how I put him there. Our sins, yeah? He died for our sins, so it's like we were even the ones pounding the nails and saying, crucify him. We're just as bad. And we're convicted in that. Perhaps, though, these very people, they were convicted here, the Holy Spirit convicting them, Perhaps these very people went away all convicted, knowing how wrong they were. Perhaps they were the ones, they were part of the 3,000 who got saved in Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost when Peter preached that first sermon of the gospel of Christ. Perhaps this was a step into their salvation and belief in Jesus Christ. So the people are convicted. We see the centurion is convinced the people are convicted. And now number three, the followers are confused. The followers are confused. And this is verse 49. It says, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So here it mentions, Luke says, all his acquaintances. Acquaintances uh, it's like his friends, or what it's really talking about is his followers. It's all who had faithfully followed Jesus uh, all the way from Galilee, had been with him all this time. The, those ones who really knew him closely, uh, these who believed and followed Jesus, well, it says here, uh, and the women, those women who followed him, they stood at a distance watching these things. Now, I think at a certain point, these guys were more closer to the cross, or Jesus can talk to John and Mary there. Uh, but, there but maybe they moved off. Maybe when things got worse. Maybe, maybe the crowd pushed them back, and as they pushed them, they were pushed out. But either way, I believe this speaks of how they came like a far off and what they understood. I mean, for them, it was hard. They were confused. Why? Because they saw Jesus dying on the cross. They saw Jesus die, and it shocked and confused them. It, it, it wasn't what they, they thought would happen. So the point here is this. Seeing him die, the followers are confused, for they did not expect Jesus to end up like this. 
Remember, they believed in the conquering Messiah, not the crucified Messiah. Remember, they believed that the Messiah would come and set up the kingdom on earth, that he would, he would defeat the Romans and then take over and set up that kingdom. He would be the king, that that would be the, the role of the Messiah coming to save the world politically. But Jesus came first to save us spiritually. And so they were confused. They stood up for it. Whoa, what, what's going on? Maybe it was fear of what would happen next. They started back off. Maybe they don't, they're just wondering, what, what do we do? What's going to happen? So seeing him die, the followers are confused for they did not expect Jesus to end up like this. I like something John MacArthur, he added, they were devastated until Sunday morning when the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ would forever change their lives. I love that. They might have been confused for three days, but on the third day, Jesus would rise again, and then they would know. They would see. They would, as Jesus appeared and explained, they would understand that this was the plan of God, that Jesus didn't come as a political Savior, but a spiritual Savior first. And that he died for our sins and rose again so that we would live for God. The followers are confused. They didn't expect Jesus to, to end up like this, for this to happen. How many times do we get confused? Yeah? How many times do we get confused when, when things don't go the way we expect it? When people don't do what they should? When, when, when situations turn for bad, when we've been praying for the better? When we feel like, God, you're doing it all wrong. God, it's not supposed to happen like this. And we get confused, right? We get confused. God, I, I don't understand. What are, you, what are you doing? And then you start to doubt God or doubt yourself, doubt everything. And we don't understand because we didn't expect that. But remember this. Just like here, it's only half the story. It's only half the story. Understand this. God has more to do. He's not done. He's working His plan. In His sovereignty, He's, he's going to do something. And, and, and He's here. And He will be here. And He's going to work it all out. No matter what. No matter what's going on. No matter what you're called to. No, no matter what the Lord has asked you to do. And if it looks like, oh no, I don't know how this is going to work out, we're only halfway through. God is going to work something out in the end. I believe it was Billy Graham that said, the will of God will not take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. We will make it through to the end. And in God's will, there will be His victory done. So believe in that. The followers are confused, but you know what? In three days, they're going to be like blown away. So remember, whatever you're going through, it's only half the story. God is working. He's going to get you through. All right, so the centurion is convinced. The people are convicted. The followers are confused. And number four, our last heading, and this is the rest of our verses here, the Jewish elder is committed he's committed here we're going to be looking from verse 50 to the end of the chapter 
verse 56. But first of all, take a look with me here now, verse 50 and 51. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. We'll stop right there. Now, Luke introduces this individual. We, we know and we call him Joseph of Arimathea. He was from the Jewish town of Arimathea. Now, where is Arimathea? No one really knows exactly where that is, but um, it's in Israel somewhere. I could tell you that. It's on planet Earth, but, or it was, yeah. But we don't know where, he's, where that is exactly from, or, or where that is exactly. But you know what we know? We know what Luke tells us here, that he was a member of the council. What is the council? That's the Sanhedrin. Remember, that's that 70, 71 member uh, ruling elders of Israel. They are Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were, were elders from each city. The main guy, and he was probably from Arimathea, and he was the main elder there. He could have been a Pharisee, perhaps, but, but he was part of that ruling council, religious council of Israel. So he was part of that. He was uh, uh, a, also, we know, a good and righteous Man, in other words, he, he he was morally good and he was righteous. He was godly in how he conducted himself. He had a genuine faith in God. I'll give you one more thing. Matthew twenty-seven tells us that he was also very rich. He was very wealthy. He was well off. And Luke tells us something else that we should know. In verse thirty-one, Joseph of Arimathea had not consented to their decision and action. What does that mean? Well, remember it was the Sanhedrin who, who, had, who had decided as a ruling body to, to condemn Jesus, that he would be put to death, and, and then the main leader guys went to Pilate and, and coerced Pilate to have him crucified. Well, Joseph didn't consent to that. Joseph wasn't, wasn't party to that. Joseph didn't want that. He, he wasn't really agreeing to condemn Jesus. And why is that? Well, look at the end of verse 51. He was looking for the kingdom of God. You know what that means? He was looking for the Messiah. He was looking for the Messiah to come to set up the kingdom of God, as, as they all were, and as they believed Jesus would be that one. And Jesus will be at the end of the tribulation. He will be doing that. So here's Joseph of Arimathea, and he was looking for the Messiah. And guess what? We know that in John 19, 38, tells us that Joseph was actually a secret follower of Jesus. He was a, a, a secret disciple of Jesus, along with, remember, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, who met with Jesus secretly. John 19 actually tells us that Nicodemus was helping uh, Joseph here. And we're going to see uh, Joseph um, request the body and bury the body of Christ. But Joseph was actually a secret follower of Jesus. And he didn't tell anybody for fear of his fellow council members because they wouldn't like him. So... 
The interesting thing here is that Joseph takes a very bold step here. And he really comes out showing his commitment, his full commitment. So take a look at verse 52. This man, Joseph, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb uh, cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. So Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pilate, remember the Roman governor, and he asks officially for Jesus' body in order that he can honor Jesus and properly bury his body. Now, usually the crucified bodies were just dumped to the side and scavengers and animals would come and eat it. But Joseph didn't want that. Joseph followed Jesus, believed in Jesus. He was a secret disciple. So the best thing he could do for Jesus, no matter what he thought was going on, but he wanted to properly have Jesus buried and honor him in that way. So Joseph uh, got permission took down body and wrapped it in linen shroud. And what that is is strips of linen cloth and wrapped them up, kind of kind of like a, a mummy in that way. And then he laid the body in a tomb cut in the stone. It was a small cave and the side of the cliff was um, carved out. And Jesus was laid in that tomb. And notice that it says where no one had ever been laid. So here in Luke chapter 23, verse 53, it says that this was a brand new tomb, basically. And what we find in Matthew 27, 60, that this was actually Joseph's own tomb that he had specially paid and, and got ready. And maybe, it, maybe it was for him uh, when, when he was to pass, but it was brand new, never used. And so the body of Jesus was laid in a brand new rich man's tomb, which is amazing because all of this was fulfilling prophecy. Isaiah 53, 9, the first part says, And they made his grave with the wicked. In other words, he died as a criminal and with a rich man in his death. So he's placed in a rich man's tomb. So it was actually a fulfillment of prophecy here. So amazing that the desire of Joseph of Arimathea to want to honor Jesus by properly having his body buried ended up being a fulfillment of Scripture. Well, then look at verse 54 and to the end of this chapter. It says it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with them from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So verse 54 tells us it was the day of preparation. Like all of this was happening on that day of preparation. What is that? That's Friday. Friday is designated to prepare for the Sabbath and the Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. So this, this time was a time of what they call getting ready for the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath started at 6 p.m. Friday, went all the way to uh, 6 p.m. Saturday from sunset to sunset. That was considered the one day for the Jews there. So it, it, Jesus died at 
3 p.m. And so Joseph had to hurry get permission from Pilate to take the body, uh, wrap it up, get it ready, put it in the the tomb before 6 p.m. So all this had to happen pretty quick because as we read here, the Sabbath was about to beginning or was beginning. So they had to get it done. That's the idea there. And also with Joseph, and I mentioned Nicodemus from John 19, there was this these women, verse 55. The women had come with Joseph from, uh, or with, uh, with Jesus from Galilee and followed Jesus. And so they were there and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in the, in the tomb. Now these women were the same ones, I believe, that were at the cross that were mentioned earlier. And these women were like the Marys, right? Like Mary Magdalene and, 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 um, and Salome. And we're going to see them more later in the next chapter, next time we're here. But they knew where the body was laid, where this tomb was. And, and uh, it's believed, the, most of us believe it's in that garden tomb. When we went to Israel, we got to visit it. And it was by... Um, the, uh, where it looked like uh, where the cross could have stood. And so it was a perfect place to, to lay the body. So the women who have followed Jesus, they saw where the body was laid, so that later, we're going to see in the next chapter, they can return with the spices to properly anoint the body. They had to rush away and not do anything because the Sabbath was coming. So they couldn't complete everything there. So, verse 56 tells us that they returned back home and they prepared spices and ointments. And then they rested because the Sabbath was starting 6 p.m. And according to the commandment, they had to rest, not do any work until Saturday at 6 p.m. Starting Friday, 6 p.m., sorry, to to Saturday, 6 p.m. there. Now, we're going to see more about these spices as it continues on in the next chapter. But for now, I wanted you to really focus in on Joseph of Arimathea. And I want you to see this, and this is our last point. Seeing how he died, that's Jesus, the Jewish elder is committed to risk it all to honor Jesus and properly bury him. Think about that for a moment. This was a bold step for him. Yeah, he was he was he was the secret, you know, follower. Uh, he he did this with great risk of losing his reputation. He could lose his position, his status. That would mean his job, uh, his income. He was very wealthy. Everything he could lose it all, but he was willing to identify himself as a follower of Jesus by going to Pilate, requesting a body, and, and, and properly burying Jesus in the tomb. I mean, this was like commitment coming out. This was Joseph showing his commitment, yeah? You know what? I gotta, I gotta, I'm not going to be a secret disciple anymore. I'm not going to be an undercover believer, yeah? It's all or nothing, no more secret, I'm, I'm going to do this for Jesus. And I believe seeing Jesus die on the cross affected him to the point where if Jesus did all that, then I, I can make this kind of commitment for him. And I think that speaks to us. I think it tells us that, you know, it's time to stop being like this undercover Christian, you know. 
the the secret Christian. But we need to be bold about our commitment to Jesus Christ. Do we hold back? Like we're kind of embarrassed what people might think? Do do we live according to trying to please people? Or maybe we don't want to make anyone angry. I'm not saying be like obnoxious about things. But are we afraid of what someone might think about me? Or maybe, oh, what if that affects my position or status, you know, in the family or, or around the friends? Or, or do we just do things to be accepted? Maybe we, oh, we'll go hang out with the guys, go drink. Why? Oh, because cause I, I, I don't want to be, you know, pushed out of the group, yeah? Or maybe we ah, laugh at those dirty jokes and everything. And, and, and we act like, oh, we're still part of the world. When if, if you believe in Christ and you have Christ in your heart, you're a new creation, you're, you're no longer of this world. I think it's time for us to take a bold step, to, 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 to be who God wants us to be, to make that commitment to Christ. Not to be, oh, secretly only committed in, in, in secret, but be willing to share your faith even. Remember Paul said in Romans 1, 16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I think it's time for us even more so today in this dark world we live in, to let the light shine, so to speak. To, to have, have everything about our life be about Jesus. I think about, about what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.20. He said, I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The old King James Lord is magnified. Christ will be magnified in my body. He will be honored in my body. And this is Joseph. Seeing Jesus die, and the way he died, it motivated this Jewish elder to be committed, committed fully in God. Not not secretly, not halfway now, but all the way and it didn't matter he wanted to make it known that his life was about Jesus when he went and buried and put Jesus in the in the tomb that's what God's calling us to be to to offer our whole life to him every part to surrender it all not just compartmentalize like oh only this area only on Sundays I'll give it to the Lord but the rest of the week, no. Even down to the depths of our heart, what's in our mind, what's inside us, God is calling us. He can see that. He knows that. I like, I'll close with this. One Sunday morning, the offering plate was passed by the ushers, and one little girl was brokenhearted that she didn't have anything to give Uh, especially being inspired by the sermon that morning. So when the offering plate came to her, she put it on the ground, stepped into that plate, and saying to the usher, I don't have any money, but if Jesus gave his all for me, then I will offer my whole life to him. That's the idea. 
So let's be convinced. You know what? Jesus is God and the Lord over me. So let's trust him. Let's be convicted in how my sin put Jesus on the cross. And let us turn from that sin. Let's not be confused, though things may look like it's not ending well. God is not done yet. And let's be committed like Joseph of Arimathea was to boldly magnify Christ in our lives so all will see what he can do, what he can do with with a person, what he can do with a, a sinner who can be saved, who can become a new creation and freed from the bondage of sin. So this is all these responses we can learn from. This is the four responses to Jesus' death. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to a close here, God, we thank you that you died on a cross for our sins, that you suffered, Lord, all that, the injustice, God, the uh, the the taunting and the 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 scorn, Lord. God, you you went through all that suffering and pain, Lord, as you bled and the nails that were in your wrists and feet, the thorn of crowns pushed upon your head, your back already ripped open, God, by the scourging. God, as you hung there, Lord, God, you did not think of yourself, but you thought of others as we as we learned so much in the past weeks in the seven sayings of the cross. But Lord, as we look back on that and as we see the responses of those who were there that day, God, we want to respond to you, God. We want to respond convinced, convicted, trusting you, being committed to you, God, because you were committed to die for our sins. Lord, if you can give your whole life so that we can be saved, may we give our lives surrendered to you so that we live for you. Some of us here, maybe some of, some of you connected online, been, been running too long now, been wandering away from God, knowing what the truth is. You've mocked God, mocked the people of God, But deep in your heart, you know what the Spirit is saying and calling you to repent, to return, to come back. Lord, as our heads are bowed, God, may we call out to you for forgiveness. May we be convicted and drawn to the cross and find your forgiveness and your cleansing and new life, freedom from the bondage, the ability to live for you, the ability and the power to have you magnified, honored in our life. And that's what, God, I want to do, no matter what, Lord. So, Lord, receive, God, a repentive heart. Help us today that in the craziness of this life and this, all the noise of this world and what what people may put upon us and the stresses and the things that that are going on that can bring us so low. God, may we find, Lord, 
motivation and power, God, to break through all that because we're going to live for you. We're going to honor you no matter what. God, that's our mission. That's our call. So here we are, Jesus. This is for you, God. We surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.